welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers, and today we have a very special interview recorded by Fred Schenkelberg. Fred's guest was Dr. Wayne Nelson, leading expert on analysis of reliability and accelerated test data. Formerly with General Electric Research and Development for 23 years, he now privately consults and teaches engineering applications of statistics for many companies professional societies and universities. For his outstanding contributions to reliability data analysis and accelerated testing, he was elected a fellow of the IEEE, the American Society for Quality, and the American Statistical Association. The IEEE Reliability Division awarded Dr. Nelson with its prestigious Lifetime Achievement Award. Let's join for Fred's interview with Dr. Wayne Nelson. All right. So welcome to Dare to Know. This is Fred Schenkelberg, and I'm very proud to be sitting down with Wayne Nelson. Hey, Wayne. Oh, it's good to see you, Fred. Uh, I'm glad we ran into each other here at Rams. That's right. And, and we actually found a, a moment where it's a little quieter. So, But uh, we were just talking, uh, and we've known each other for quite a while. But oh, I would say 20 years. Uh, you know. I think so. Yeah, and we were just catching up a little bit about travel, and it sounds like you've had some great times in New York and other parts of the world. But you made a comment, well, before we got started, that um, uh, you're just a statistician. And, and was, there's a bunch of sessions going on with all these, <laughs> these engineer types. Well, you I, know, what was that about? Just uh, I guess it's my way of saying I respect the knowledge that engineers have that I don't have. They, okay. they are so intimately familiar with their products, mm -hmm. it's, the, the histories of the products, the failure mechanisms, uh, all of the way the data, uh, the development programs they use, the way they run their tests, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, how they handle the, the manufacturer, how they handle quality control, how they handle uh, service in the field. These are things I only know a little about. I'm right. just a statistician. <laughs> <laughs> I do, uh, I help them collect and analyze data on reliability of products. That's right. And I'd say it's a little more than just help, Wayne. You've, you've created some of the tools and techniques that are built into our tools, and, and it's the way we approach things. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, so I, I, you're being a little modest here. It's, well, okay, I, I, I will admit to having a talent for solving problems that haven't been solved before for mm -hmm. inventing new methodology and models. Uh, I guess what it is is I'm critical of the tools we have. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, you have this, I'll call it, uh, small crusade against MTBF, <laughs> yeah. which I agree with. <laughs> okay. uh, it's been uh, misused terribly, and it's rarely a useful con concept. So I, I have to say, uh, most people just uh, repeat what they've read right. or what they've learned in school right. and sometimes doing it badly. But I, I at least realize when something is not being done well and I can invent a better way That's to right. do you, things. You come back with a solution, not just a complaint. Yeah, a better, a better solution than, than people are using currently. That's right. Know. Now, you've published, I want to hazard a guess, a, hundreds, maybe 500 papers? Oh, no. If you count company reports and client reports, maybe that many. But uh, literature publications, about 130. 130. Yeah. 
Right, and it and includes some of these new concepts and new solutions, but also Absolutely. a clear explanation of some of the base, some of the things that are fundamental, the fundamental understanding of things. Yeah, I think if I have any talent besides the ability to invent, it's the ability to see things simply and to explain them simply and clearly. Well, do you remember when we were both attending one of the sessions here at RAMS, it was a panel on standards, I think. They were talking about reliability standards. And um, I think I asked a question about MTBF and challenged them and why they're still using that. And, and you made the comment of it, the words we use matter. And so the, 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 if we're using MTBF to convey reliability, why don't we actually use reliability? Or it was yeah, something or even if you're talking about repairable products or even life data, uh, the failure rate or the repair rate. Repair rate. Yeah, th that makes a lot more sense than MTBF. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But what stuck with me was that it was the words we use matter. And I remember we talked after that, and we were talking about. I was struggling with some people on and conveying what is uh, confidence in in statistical sampling, <laughs> and, and you said we have. We have convincing evidence that the null hypothesis is not true. And, yes. and, it, and you know, I've used that a number of times, and they say, oh, okay. I, you know, and if I use confidence, it's too tied up into the common language definition yes. of that. Yeah, that word I think is better omitted from statistical work because it's so misleading with non statisticians. Statisticians really understand. Uh, the, the meaning of confidence in terms of a confidence interval is the probability the interval covers what your the value you want to cover with that interval. That's right. The population. It's just a probability. Yeah, there's, there's no nice, warm feeling that you have when you're confident. It, it's just a, a cold, clear probability that the interval covers the. the value you're interested in. That's provided that all your modeling and such is correct. That's right. I, the I probability is really greater or less than intended. Well, in your book on accelerated testing, which is the, the first reliability book I picked up, mm. it, it was, and, and that was 20 plus years ago, and we, I think we met at a, a small, small conference in Boston, mm -hmm. and I was able to ask you a bunch of questions then. But one of the things that I don't see in a lot of books that was in yours was that you made the, the assumptions very, very clear. If you're going to use this distribution or say this approach, here's a list of uh, assumptions that are under, built into this analysis. So if, if the data had to be normally distributed and you're assuming that or whatever the distribution yeah. is, and you made it stress that check it. Yes, <laughs> I was just going to say that very thing. Uh, a lot of people in many fields, especially engineering, and I've worked with engineers 50 years, so I, I'm pretty clear on how they think. They think they've done the job when they say, I have assumed. Right. <laughs> and the then they never verify that the assumption or check that the assumption is a reasonable, plausible one for the situation. That always has to be done. You might say, well, I'm going to assume a Weibull distribution. That's not enough. You have to look at the Weibull plot, see if it's relatively straight, especially in the area you're interested in, the lower tail. Right. And then you can say, okay, the Weibull is a reasonable model to use here. It, it you don't get away with just saying, I assume. That's right. <laughs> so, I mean, a visual piece, 
is, is one check. And I had one uh, professor tell me that uh, you plot it on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, the, the cumulative distribution function, plot, put the data there in your regression line. And if it fits under a number two pencil, it's a pretty good fit. <laughs> that was my favorite technique. <laughs> I don't think I could write a paper and get it published well, on that technique. But. Again, everything is so conditional on the situation and the details of it. That pencil rule of thumb is probably good 10% of the time and, and not good 90% of the time. Well, well, hopefully it was good enough for his class. Was that's yeah, what we ended one, up doing. one of these rules of thumb that I have seen used and quoted since I was a freshman in chemistry, uh, I, I was taking chemistry of applying to Spalding as a freshman, yeah, <laughs> just the b basic course. Uh, even he quoted the doubling rule for the Arrhenius, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, approximation mm -hmm. to the Arrhenius, and I saw GE lose $1 billion because they uh, believe the doubling rule for the effective temperature right, right. is correct. Uh, the doubling rule says for every 10, de uh, 10 degrees centigrade, uh, the failure rate or the life doubles or goes uh, in half, the in other half right. whichever way the temperature is going. And that isn't right. If you go to my accelerated testing book and put the doubling rule on any Arrhenius plot in my book, you'll see it doesn't follow the data. That's right. That's right. And, <laughs> so and, so I, I like the $1 billion loss because they, they looked at the lubricating flu, uh, fluid for uh, a, a rotary compressor that was going to go into refrigerators. Right. And they, they went ahead and they took, they run the, ran their test at only one temperature. And then they assumed they used the, the doubling rule. They, no, they didn't even use an activation. They used the doubling rule. Okay, okay. Yeah, the doubling rule and the Arrhenius curve are two different curves. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they may, they they're not even close to case. each other, yeah. yes. So they just used the doubling rule to get to the design temperature. And I told them, well, you have to go back and collect data at at least one other temperature to find out what the slope is in the Arrhenius plot. Right, right. And they didn't. They didn't. The trouble is I was working with a sort of a junior statistician, not with the people who... Well, that ties into, I think, my first comment about, you know, just a statistician. You need to understand where the data set came from and what's the source of it and, and its nuances and then how they're going to use the information. So that's where your interactions with all these engineers through the years is helping them inform how they make decisions. It's, it's, you just don't plug the numbers in a calculator and come out with a result. It's, it goes somewhere. It's, somebody's going to use that. So if they would have... Uh, you know, you use the principles you've put out in, in papers and other things, they would have checked assumptions. They would have, you know, yes. said, do we have an... Like the doubling rule. In fact, you should never use the doubling rule unless you have nothing else. I mean, <laughs> right. And even then, I would <laughs> That's say, your last resort, not your first. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, you, you've seen it, though, where people just don't have the samples or, or we don't have the time or we don't have the resources. Is What do you do in those circumstances? Uh, well, then you're an engineer. Statisticians <laughs> don't do things like that. Engineers, uh, you know, with the pressures of, of getting the job done, uh, they sometimes have to make decisions based on Standard. past experience or just a guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. because they, they have to go forward and, and uh, may not always uh, give the best results, but uh, yeah. Sometimes it works out well and sometimes yeah. not so well. Like and the doubling rule for the uh, refrigerated compressor oil, it just didn't work. That's right, that's right. Now, it's, um, 
then you have a more recent book out. I think the last time I talked to you, it was fairly new. It was more on, on, on I want to say, repairable data. Yes, uh, it's a book that was published by the American Statistical Association and SIEM, Society for Industrial and Applied Math. Mm -hmm. uh, it does concern analysis of repair data and other types of recurrent events data. I, uh, in order to sell the book to a wider audience, I included applications from medicine, mm -hmm. like uh, recurrences of cancer tumors right. or uh, recurrences of uh, blood clots in patients or falls of the elderly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I've also included uh, some uh, applications from marketing. Uh, I have some nice... Uh, Would that apply like for repeat, repeat customers? Repeat purchases on Amazon.com. All right. Uh, oh, one of my, one of my associates from General Electric worked for them after leaving GE and was provided me with some of those okay. uh, applications. Uh, and they were able to compare two marketing promotions. Excellent. And yeah, they've just randomly assigned a purchaser to one of the two promotions right. and then follow the purchaser into the future to see which group of people uh, made more repeat purchases. Right. And they and found out there was a 10% difference in purchases right. uh, between the because two Because of promotions. the path they took. Well, the, the it, 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 it's just whatever, you got right. promotion A or promotion B trying to sell you something. Right, and it might be, I've heard of plenty of tests, and they would use a hypothesis test or a simple design of experiments to evaluate two sales pages. But you're adding the, the recurrent data yes, of the repeat yes, sales, which yes. is a, a completely different question. And so a, a basic uh, hypothesis test wouldn't necessarily treat that data very well. Uh, you need special methodology for recurrent events data analysis, and it's really, uh, you have to use uh, random process theory. But mm -hmm. in my little book, I use a very simple version of that. I, I, and it's, it's my book is totally non-parametric, which is also nice. It is. It's, it, it's a little on the conservative side. I think it also makes yes. it more accessible. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, it, it, uh, the methodology is now being used more and more uh, as a, just a personal incident. I uh, have had uh, four episodes of blood clots in my legs, okay. so and that's dangerous. Uh, I did go, I was recommended a new medication to prevent clots, so I went to the, the web and got some of the studies and, and literature on, on the new medication. And uh, they did one study with about 4,000 patients mm -hmm. comparing the new medication with an old standard medication, and uh, they didn't use all of the recurrences. They used only the time to first, first recurrence. recurrence. Okay. And so they were throwing away data, and it's a multi-million dollar st study that Claire carried out in many different clinics. Right. So I've written an article basically saying, use all the data. <laughs> uh, yeah, for, for example, they lost 28% of the information using, wow. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and when you're talking, you're you know, say $10 million, dollars, you're throwing away 2.8 million. That's right, yeah. and it's, you're trying to make a, a, as good a decision and study as you can. And yeah. It's so, hard enough to get the data off. And the reason is, is like any new methodology, it's been around only 25 years, it's not being taught in all the basic courses. Right. Uh, so people haven't learned it and they don't know to use it. And they, they use whatever they've seen others use. You know, right. We're monkey see, monkey do. We're, we are, <laughs> and oftentimes we don't have enough time to learn 
just what we need to know. That's right. And maybe there's no way of knowing it's out there. And that's, I mean, part of the podcast and the, the sites I'm doing is to try to raise awareness on some of this. So hopefully this yeah, will get people uh, to yeah, look in at fact, their... going back to your uh, crusade against MTBF, yeah. my book provides the methodology for handling recurrent events data where mm -hmm. you don't use an MTBF. Mm -hmm. You actually look at the recurrence rate and how it changes over time. That's right. That's and right. it's non-parametric, so uh, it doesn't have to be a constant recurrence well, rate. Well, it eliminates a number of the assumptions that uh, get us in trouble sometimes. We don't oh, assume absolutely. it's an exponential. Right. We just get rid of that altogether. Now, one of the, I was talking to somebody yesterday that's in, in a university program, mostly in reliability engineering and mechanical engineering, and, and I made a, a comment about, I have the statistics courses, the undergrad statistics courses gotten any better over time? And, and she said, we don't require that anymore. This is for people in engineering in and reliability. Yeah. In engineering and reliability. And I, I, well, as you know, uh, there are certain fields in engineering where they are required to take statistics. Uh, and, quality, and, manufacturing, and uh, even uh, chemical processes because they have to do some regression modeling there. Right. But that's it. The mechanical engineering and electrical and other fields of engineering uh, uh, statistics and reliability courses are not always required. You know, they've got so much in their programs That's right. that, that they've expanded them to five years in many schools, in schools and right. still not have room to, to give uh, good statistics background. Now, my opinion is, is that that's a mistake. This, in, in the real world, there's variability, and we need the language to at least ask the right questions. The concepts, questions. yes, right. I, I agree with you. I, I think... Uh, People in engineering and many other fields should get a good basic statistics course taught by somebody who is doing applied work. That's right. <laughs> I, I think that's where some of the courses lose it, is they go into the theory and the background in... Or they have uh, mathematicians teaching the course uh, instead of uh, people who've come out of engineering, physics, or chemistry who uh, suddenly discover these statistical issues are very interesting. Mm, interesting and important. <laughs> yes. Well, are you looking for a teaching position? We could put the word out. <laughs> no, I, I do uh, give courses usually for clients in industry or right. for uh, professional societies. You know, I, I've, I've given courses for various societies, including the American Statistical Association, the uh, American Society for Quality, the Mexican Institute for Statistics. Or, and you're fluent in Spanish, too. Well, I, I wouldn't say fluent, but uh, I, I, I manage just fine. <laughs> I have a good accent, uh, a decent grammar, and if I don't know a word, I'll get it from somebody in the audience. There you go. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 many of them speak English. So one of the questions I've had for many years is, I mean, you've published so much, and you've taught so much, and you've been involved with uh, American Society for Quality, you've been involved with the American Statistical Association, and essay, I mean, Bunch of also the orders. IEEE. I may be the only statistician in IEEE <laughs> who is a fellow. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And you've been recognized for your contributions over and over again. Um, well, I, why you know, you I have that? to thank my clients. They provide the problems, the stimulation, and I respond to their needs. Right, right. I, don't, I don't sit in my office and think, what does the world need? Uh, my clients tell me uh, what the world needs. That's right. Yeah, I've, it, been, I've been lucky. 
to, to have good clients. Mm -hmm. And also I've been lucky to get the simple problems first and then the harder problems <laughs> and still harder problems. So I've been able to think my way through all of that. Okay. Yeah, if I were posed with a very difficult, complex problem to start, it, it would be very difficult. But, be. but with the background I gradually accumulate, I'm able to handle these more advanced problems. That's right. you know. well, I asked Bill Maker um, how he got started in reliability, and he tells the story about you. Oh, really? And, and back at the GE, and I think at the Union campus or somewhere in upstate New York, you spent some time together. Well, how did you get into, because statistics is a very broad field, how did you tend, it seems like you're focusing on the reliability statistics in general. How did you get into that realm? That's an amusing story. Uh, I, uh, as a kid, would go to family dinners and play poker. Age 10 or 11, I was at the table like all the rest. So. Uh, when I uh, took a, an algebra course, uh, we had a book which had chapters on combinatorial probabilities, so okay. you could figure out gods for cards and dice and all of that. So that, that sort of whetted my appetite. And so started find, with probability <laughs> yes. gambling. Isn't that how statistics actually, the probability got started? And the, there, there was a lot, uh, yes. Gambling right, so did stimulate some of the research, uh, early probability development. All right, so this is, yeah. High school, junior high, that you saw these courses, I'm sure, and then... Well, I, I was, uh, we didn't cover the combinatorial work in our algebra oh, it was in the I did it on my own. Okay, okay. Yeah, because I was interested. interested. Uh, and then in, in college at Caltech, I was uh, in physics partly because I had a lot of elective courses I could choose. Right. And I did end up taking a course in statistics. It was okay. just a 10-week course out of a book by Freund. Uh, and it was a nice book, and uh, so I, I had that little 10-week course background, went to work, went to graduate school for a year, and then went to work at Lockheed Burbank. Well, at that time, uh, they were dealing with a problem with the Lockheed Electra. The wings were flexing as mm -hmm. the plane f would fly, and uh, eventually parts in the wing would fatigue and wings, a wing would fall off. Well, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> they, they wanted to fix it. Yeah, I can understand that. Uh, they, they had, they had really about a half acre of engineers with the Marchant calculators, each given us a cell in the wing doing uh, these calculations of the fatigue flexing. Okay. So uh, they came to me with some data that they had collected on specimens, metal specimens, coupons, mm -hmm. uh, where they had runouts. You know, you put you put specimens on, at different stress levels, run them till their failure, but they stop at ten to the seven cycles typically. Okay. And they want to know how do we get a fatigue curve, okay. life versus stress. Right. Uh, and they didn't know how to do it. I didn't know you how did. to do it. I was going to say. <laughs> I didn't know how to do it. In the, <laughs> so with a ten-week uh, stats course. <laughs> Uh, but they came to me because I'd had the 10-week course. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so you so uh, uh, th th there, there is a Spanish proverb, in el valle de los ciegos un puerto es el rey. Okay? okay. In English, in the valley of the blind, a one-eyed man is king. I had one eye. <laughs> 10 weeks worth. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so I started reading then on the job, uh, mm -hmm. you know, finding, I had to go to journals. I couldn't go to a textbook uh, for analysis of life data. There was nothing available way back. This was 1960 when I was there at Lockheed. 
That's when the U-2 was shot down over Russia. Right, right. Gary Powers was captured. Right. And then the guys around me, the engineers said, well, I worked on that plane. (laughs) Okay. But there was a, um, you're right, a lot of the techniques and stuff were really starting to be developed and explored. The quality uh, world had SPC and and Schuhart charts and and process capabilities, so some statistics was yeah, there, but not yeah, the life the engineers data. had quality control type statistics. Right, they didn't know the life nothing, data. Nothing on life data. Of course, actuaries have been working with that kind of data for right. a long time. Right. Uh, and in fact, the first real modern type mortality data goes back to Edmund Haley. The, oh, the, the fellow the, who discovered, the, the, the astronomer the, royal who discovered the periodicity of Halley's Comet. That's right. Yeah, uh, I've been to uh, London, and he's in Westminster Abbey, among the other uh, English immortals. That's right. And down there it says he was the astronomer and developed the fundamentals of life insurance. He came up with the first human mortality table based on real data. Real data. Up to that point, they had just imagined what the life distribution looked like based on Anadol common Anadol knowledge. Anadol. Right, yeah. right. So you, you're pulling information you can find from journals and so on. And I, yeah, and and found I, I found the subject there. fascinating. It required maximum likelihood estimation in the few articles I could find, mm-hmm. which then were just for the exponential life distribution. Right, right. That's all there was. Well, I'll stay off the MTV. A fellow named there. Epstein had done some work in the area. Okay. Uh, so uh, when I went back to uh, graduate school after taking the year off at Lockheed, I started taking statistics courses. Well, they didn't have any course that would deal with that kind of data, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I got more of the basic courses. Picking up more of the yeah, design of experiments, and... regression analysis, uh, and, and the usual th- things, even a little sampling. Right. And I ended up finally deciding, after nearly having lined up everything for my PhD in in physics, I had passed all the qualifying exams, the language exams in French and German, and I don't speak those anymore. Uh, I never did, really. And (laughs) then I suddenly got religion. I decided that the statistics issues were uh, more uh, interesting. Mm and challenging. There was a lot that was needed uh, in, in terms of just fat- how do you get a fatigue curve off of data with runouts, non-failures. Right. So uh, I switched. <laughs> I, 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 after completing all of the course requirements, language requirements, preliminary exam requirements, I switched. <laughs> <laughs> Took me, uh, I think it was two or three more years to take the courses in statistics and then uh, to uh, do my thesis work. Right. Yeah. It was a good experience because uh, I had good professors, and when somebody came into the department wanted consulting, they referred that person to me. So I worked with graduate students, I worked with faculty, and uh, you know, I got started in consulting, which is what I wanted to do anyhow. Anyway. I didn't want to go into academic work. Right. And it yeah. sounded like you- you've been fascinated with the different types of problems people are facing. I mean, even that first one, you were presented with a unique situation as far as they were concerned. And you invented a way to help them solve that. And it, 
Yeah, that's, that sparked the passion. And, and so you were sidetracked a little bit by physics. I can understand that. It, well, uh, I got you, into physics only because uh, the well, first year at Caltech, everybody takes the same course. Second year, you go into a specialization, chemistry, physics, or what, engineering. And I chose physics only because I would have the most uh, electives <laughs> and could choose whatever courses I wanted. <laughs> so it was, it was almost a default. I had uh, always been interested in science and technology, so mm -hmm. that was as good a way to go as any. So is, is I mean, part of the audience is people that are, are getting started in their careers or, or managing uh, engineers and teams and, and so on. What advice do you have for them as they're building their own careers? Is do what you love. <laughs> uh, I'm 80 years old today, and today, I'm, yeah, or well, uh, back in August, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, I still love what I do. I, I, I work because I enjoy the work. The money is a byproduct. I'm mm -hmm. not working for for money. I'm working uh, because uh, I take pleasure in helping engineers. Bake, make better products. Well, I can personally thank you for that yep. attitude. Cause well, I know you do that too. <laughs> well, I try. It, yeah. yet it, I had, I mean, very much so, I had you as a role model because that, that my very first problem was the way you described it. It was very similar to my circumstance. We didn't have wings falling off of planes. <laughs> it wasn't quite the same circumstance. Yet, where do I go? Where do I start? Now, I had a, your textbook. Uh, right, so by the time I started, I had some really yeah, nice references. There were no textbooks in my areas That's right. at the time I started. So uh, you know, I, I had to invent a lot of what uh, I ended up using. And there were literature articles, too. Uh, people had been thinking about these things, mm -hmm. and especially the actuarial statisticians. They, they work totally non-parametrically, and engineers prefer parametric models because for many applications where you're running a small test, you, you don't have enough data to do a non-parametric analysis. How about the invention part? I mean, part of, I think you love that part of finding solutions and developing new programs is uh, we've got a wonderful set of tools now and, and software packages and all these things that do stuff to us. Is that a, a benefit or is that, do you see that as a, a detriment? Well, uh, that's, uh, I'm sort of st stuttering now because there's so many things to say. But uh, let's start with the, the simple idea that when I'm teaching statistical methodology to engineers and even statisticians, I spend a lot of time on the model we're going to be using or fitting to data. Right. Its properties, how to interpret uh, the numerical values of the parameters in the model. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, you should know what an activation of 0.3 electron volts really means in, right, in terms right. of the behavior of the product. So the, the, you know, I, I want the people who attend my courses to understand what the models are and their properties and the meaning of everything in the model. That's right. Then uh, I'm not concerned that they should understand what the computer package is doing internally to come up with the parameter estimates and the confidence right. intervals. That is something that the experts do for them. Right. You know, in the back of my chapters, I may show the computation, right. but in the front, I'm showing people here 
here's the model, uh, here it's fitted to data, here's the interpretation of the fitted model, mm -hmm. and here's the practical decision that's being made on the basis of all of this. That's right. That's yeah. Right. So that's my uh, approach to uh, teaching people. Uh, most people uh, are really just going to be simple practitioners and use the tools that are already out there, the, the software that right. you mentioned. Uh, now, talk about the quality of the software that uh, has evolved over time. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Bob Abernathy is a great friend, and he's done a lot for reliability he for engineers. Has. He's a great teacher great inspiration, but his original software was very primitive. Well, we and had, we had through tools. people like myself, Bill Meeker, and many others, he, he has improved it to the point where it is now, and it's very sound, mm -hmm. and it does most of the things that people need. That's right. Yeah. So he, he's been a very responsive person. Well, the, the core of it, though, is I think you said, is, is the understanding. It's just don't trust the numbers coming out. Ask the questions and, mm -hmm. and understand the, what you're, the models you're using and the assumptions. I'll, I'll come back to that. Mm -hmm. I think I really stress that. Well, you know, Wayne, I really, really appreciate getting the microphone on you and chatting a little bit. I didn't know how you got it started in reliability. I'm, I'm sure that uh, we could keep talking for probably another couple hours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I've had a lot of... Uh, experience I think that would benefit your audience the in, uh, insights that might be useful but well, we'll maybe out. another interview some other time yeah I, I'll look forward to that I'll make sure that happens yeah so appreciate Fred, it Wayne. Fred appreciate thank you so for much. the opportunity to chat with you and share some of my experience with your audience right. well, thank you so much Wayne